Welcome to the Thankful Homemaker Podcast, a podcast to be an encouragement and blessing to each other in the role God has called us to as women. I'm so thankful you stopped by, so grab yourself a coffee or tea and sit with me a bit as we talk about how God's Word impacts every area of our lives as Christian women. Hello, friend. I'm Marcy Farrell from thankfulhomemaker.com, and welcome to the Thankful Homemaker Bite Size, just a quick nugget of encouragement for your day. We have a topic today that I feel I can pretty confidently say that we've probably all struggled with at times, and it's self-pity. Elizabeth Elliot said, Self-pity is a death that has no resurrection, a sinkhole from which no rescuing hand can drag you because you have chosen to sink, end quote there. So I know that we can all relate to self-pity as women and wives and mothers. How many times do we focus on maybe our needs that aren't met or what we see as unfair situations or circumstances. The dictionary defines self-pity as excessive, self-absorbed unhappiness over one's own troubles. Self-pity is a selfish tendency that takes our eyes off Christ and puts them on ourselves. We are forgetting that God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We need to be reminded that God has a purpose for every situation that comes into our lives, and his purpose in every one of them is to mold us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So it seems worthwhile to address together this rarely talked about sin of self-pity. And as we address self-pity, I need you to hear this. Listen, okay? I am not saying that it means that there's not a time to be sad or down, but we usually have a pretty good idea when we've moved from being sad over circumstances or issues in our lives into the realm of self-pity. But we may not at times, so hence why I'm talking about it today. We may have a hard time determining when we've moved from the normal emotions of sadness into self-pity. And self-pity is a sin because we are not thinking rightly about God. We are saying that He must not be good or loving or He's withholding something from us. It also elevates self And we find ourselves saying our rights and desires and wishes are of utmost importance. One author stated that, quote, perhaps then self-pity is not the root at all, but rather springs out of our unbelief towards God and pride towards ourselves, end quote there. I agree with that statement because usually for in my life, Self-pity comes about when I'm looking for solutions to my situation outside of Jesus. In that moment, I'm saying Jesus isn't enough, and I'm saying I know what's best, and it's not what God has ordained for me in that moment. I've forgotten God's sovereignty at work in all things, and I'm forgetting that His will is, as it states in Romans 12 too, good and acceptable and perfect. In that moment, I've lost focus that God does have my best interest at heart, and He knows what is best for me in my life, and His timing, and His ways, and the circumstances He's allowed in my life in this season are good, because 
He is a good and loving father who does desire what is best for me as his child. Self-pity creeps into our hearts when things are hard, when circumstances are challenging and we find ourselves in a difficult season. Maybe marriage is hard or things aren't going well with our children or there's challenging situations in our churches. There's broken relationships, financial issues, loss of a job. The list can go on there. But again, these are hard things and it is okay to be sad. It is when we are saying to ourselves, I deserve better than this. Maybe a sense of entitlement is creeping in or we're demanding our rights or we start feeling sorry for ourselves and then in creeps self-pity. See, we don't find ourselves, usually we don't, we're not going to find ourselves falling into self-pity when things are going well in our lives. Marriage is good, children are great, finances are good, no major problems going on. Self-pity isn't an issue when we are content in our life's circumstances because, and when I'm saying this, we're content because life circumstances are going the way we desire them to. If you spent some time with me here on the podcast, you already know that I've been camping in Martin Lloyd-Jones' studies in the Sermon on the Mount as we're working through that together. And I just recently started reading through his book on Psalm 73 called Faith on Trial. Psalm 73 is one I find myself gravitating towards because it really describes self-pity and the cure for it. And I know for me personally, never once did self-pity prove to be helpful. It's a sin in my life that I want to continually do battle with. Goodness, it, it not only doesn't help me, but it sure doesn't make me a pleasant person to be around when I'm caught up in it. I want to share a small portion from Faith on Trial by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones because it was a help to me. So don't you just love how I'm going to assume it's going to be a help to you too. I know that this is a sin issue that really we do all get caught up in at times. Life is hard, but we serve a God who, as it states in Psalm 73, 26, that though our flesh and heart may fail, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And in verse 28, it says, we have made the Lord our refuge. So if the Lord is your refuge, I pray the words from the doctor may be a help for you the next time you sense self-pity creeping into your heart. And take some time to camp in Psalm 73 if you can too. Again, I will link this book in the show notes so you can have access to it and see where I'm taking it from. This excerpt that I'm going to share with you today is taken from chapter 3, which was titled, The Importance of Spiritual Thinking. And just from that chapter title, I believe you probably already know where the doctor is going to go. I'm going to jump around a little bit in this chapter, but as I begin here, he's referencing the psalmist in Psalm 73. So he begins here. The trouble with this man was that his thoughts had been turned in on himself and so had got into a vicious circle. We start thinking about things in this way. We become miserable and unhappy and we do not want to see anybody. We do not want to mix with God's people. We become preoccupied with our troubles, the hard times we are having, the feeling that God is not fair to us and that we are being treated very harshly. We are miserable and feeling sorry for ourselves, and there we are, going round and round in circles of self-pity. Self is always the center of this problem. The first thing to do, therefore, is to stop 
this preoccupation with self and stop turning round and round in circles on the natural level. But how does one break out of the vicious circle? I suggest that there are three main things here. The first one, put first what this man puts first, literally going to the house of God. What a wonderful place God's house is. Often you will find deliverance by merely coming into it. Many a time have I thanked God for his house. The house of God has delivered me from the, quote, the mumps and measles of the soul a thousand times and more merely by entering its doors. We go to the house of God and to our amazement, we find other people there before us. The healing process is going on. The cure is being continued. We look round the congregation and suddenly find ourselves looking at someone whom we know has had an infinitely worse time than we have been having. We thought our problem was the most terrible problem in the world and that no one had ever before suffered as we had. Then we see a poor woman, a widow perhaps, whose only child has died or been killed, but she's still there. It puts our problem into a new perspective immediately. The great Apostle Paul has a word for this as for all things. There hath no temptation taken you, he reminds us, but such as is common to man. That's from 1 Corinthians 10.13. Where the devil gets us is just here. He persuades us that nobody has ever had this trial before. No one has ever had a problem like mine. No one else has been dealt with like this. But Paul says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And the moment you remember even that much, you feel better. All God's people know something about this. We are such strange creatures, and sin has had a strange effect on us. We are always helped in our suffering by hearing that somebody else is suffering too. It is true of us physically, and it is true on the spiritual level also. The realization that we are not alone in this helps us to put the the thing in the right perspective. I am one of a number. It seems to be something that happens to God's people. The house of God reminds us of all that. Then it reminds us of things that go still farther back. We begin to study the history of the church throughout the ages, and we remember what we read years ago, perhaps something in the lives of some of the saints. And we begin to understand that some of the greatest saints that have ever adorned the life of the church have experienced trials and troubles and tribulations, which cause our little problem to pale into significance. The house of God, the sanctuary of God, reminds us of all that. And we are beginning to climb and we are going upwards and we have our problem now in the right setting. And there is something in the atmosphere in God's house. It's ordained that we should come to God's house to meet his people. It is his ordinance, not ours. He has ordained it, not only so that we may, we, we may meet each other, but also that we might come to know him better. And now second, to think spiritually, he continues here. We need to turn to the Bible Turn to it in the home or in the church. It does not matter where, and it will immediately make you think spiritually. It does so in countless ways. One of the reasons why God has given us this word is in order to help us to deal with this problem that we are considering. The mere history of the Bible is invaluable. Even if there were nothing else, 
Take a psalm like this one and its story, merely to read what this man went through puts me right, and all the histories do the same. But that is not God's only way of giving this great teaching. Begin to read your Bible and its great teaching and the doctrines, and you are again reminded of God's gracious purposes for man. And at once, you begin to feel ashamed of your foul thoughts. So in varied ways, the same result is produced by the scriptures. And then third, he continues, the other essential aids are to pray and meditate. I wonder whether there is someone who is surprised that I have not put prayer first, or at least before this. I'm sure there are some because I know a number of Christian people who have a universal answer to all questions. It does not matter what the question is. They always say, pray about it. If a man in the psalmist condition had come to any one of them, they would have said, go and pray about it. What a glib, superficial, and false bit of advice that can, that can often be. And I'm saying that, he says here, from a Christian pulpit. You may ask, is it ever wrong to tell someone to make their problems a matter of prayer? He says it is never wrong, but it is sometimes futile. And what I mean is this, the whole trouble with this poor man, in a sense, was that he was so muddled in his thinking about God that he could not pray to him. If we have muddled thoughts in our, in our mind and heart concerning God's way with respect to us, how can we pray? We cannot. Before we can pray truly, we must think spiritually. End quote there. So as we look at what Martin Lloyd-Jones kind of talked about there from that chapter three in his book, how do we find ourselves spiritually thinking or thinking spiritually? By spending time with the people of God. Um, that is making church a priority, friend, by turning to God's word, the Bible again and again, and then by prayer and meditating on the word. The problem with self-pity is we become so inward focused, we can't see clearly. We need the straight edge of scripture to get our thinking lined up with God's ways. Psalm 19, a favorite of mine too, Psalm 19 verses 7 through 11 says, It tells us really about the benefits of God's word as I think about it. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. So I want to leave you with some practical ways of battling self-pity in your life. And these come from Martha Peace. I've been camping out in the Excellent Wife book, and I'm going through it with a couple ladies. And I encourage you, ladies, if you haven't read it in a bit, dust it off, bring it out again. It's going to bring your focus of marriage back to a biblical one. And one of the chapters that surprised me that I gained much from was the one on loneliness. It's in the back of the book, actually. It's in the addendum. One statement Martha Peace made on loneliness was shared from her friend. Her friend said, being alone and lonely is not the same thing. If you are alone and bored, you can find someone to do something with. If you are lonely, your thoughts are wrong and most always involve self-pity. And Martha Peace shared that this was her favorite chapter because it caused her to think about and desire the Lord. And it quickly became my favorite too. 
She said, the antidote to self-pity is delighting in the Lord. So I'm just going to read here from her addendum on loneliness. And this excerpt um, was titled in there, Practical Ways to Repent of Self-Pity. Again, it's from The Excellent Wife. So some of it is directed towards our marriages. But nevertheless, there are just some good nuggets here to use in whatever season of life you're in. So number one, be discerning about what you are feeling and thinking. If you feel lonely and it's painful for you, realize what you are thinking. Write your thoughts down and analyze each one of them biblically. That's the first one. I'm going to pause here a second and let you know. I'm going to put these I'm going to put these in the show notes. So don't feel you have to write them down. You can head over to the blog and you'll see them there. So let me reread number one for you. Be discerning about what you are feeling and thinking. If you feel lonely and it is painful for you, realize what you are thinking. Write your thoughts down and analyze each one of them biblically. That's great advice, friends, because usually we don't even take time to process our thoughts. We just start thinking them and then we're just kind of guided by them. So take the time. I love that to analyze each one of them biblically. Number two, Cultivate gratefulness to God and your husband. Think thank you thoughts to God often, especially when something doesn't go your way. Number three, learn to be content. There are a lot of material things we can definitely live without, and there is a lot of attention from our husbands that we can also live without. Give your husband blessings instead and think about your responsibility before God to be content. Number four, Realize that God could remove you from the circumstance today if he wanted to, but that God's purposes are higher than yours. And if the Lord does remove you from the circumstance of your husband being aloof or closed off from you, you don't want to be ashamed of yourself before the Lord that you whined and complained and were angry and bitter when looking back. You can see how God was working even though you didn't know it. Number five, realize that God has a purpose. Romans 8, 28 to 29 is true. Number six, God wants you to go against your feelings and think and do what is right. He will then help you not to slip into self-centered pity party poor me routine. Number seven, adopt a high view of God through reading and thinking about the Psalms and also reading good books by godly men and women who challenge your thinking. Read with a dictionary handy in case you need to look up a word. Read when you are awake and clear-headed. Also, underline sentences that stand out to you so that you can refer back to them. Again, number seven was adopt a high view of God through reading and thinking about the Psalms and reading good books by godly men and women who challenge your thinking. Okay, and number eight, the last one here is view time alone as a grace gift from God to spend more time with the Lord, reading his word and learning about him and talking to him. So if the antidote to self-pity is delighting in the Lord and specifically in his word as we read it and it writes our thinking about who God is and what he desires of us, it is that moment when we turn to him in prayer, we confess any wrong thinking we've had about God or our circumstances And that, my friend, is where we begin to find true rest and contentment, and we are able to give thanks in and through all things. So draw near to God. Read and study his word. God speaks to us through the scriptures. Take the time to hear from him. Maybe we need to be like the psalmist in Psalm 73, verse 28, and say with him, 
but for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. So my friend, Jesus is enough always. So this was a little bit longer bite size, but the list from Martha Peace is in the show notes over at the blog at thankfulhomemaker.com. And if you're enjoying the podcast, I'd so greatly appreciate you giving, um, just taking two minutes or less to give it one of those lovely five-star ratings and a review wherever you listen in. And if this is an area you'd like to study more or you struggle with, I highly recommend Martin Lloyd-Jones' book, Faith on Trial. It's on Psalm 73, and I'll link to it in the show notes. I'm so thankful for you, my friend, and I pray you have a very blessed week. Mm -hmm.